on today's show, we are getting to know dust. But first, promos and pleases. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up, Andre Psyche, and add a little creative inspiration to your social media circle. Listeners, listen up. Get 25% off your order at ShadyRays.com by using the promo code GETTING. Use GETTING when checking out to get 25% off on the best sunglasses around. Shady Rays takes extreme pride in their multi-layered lens technology, which is made for high visibility and strength, making it shatter-resistant. Go get you a pair or two by going to ShadyRays.com, perusing their polarized sunglasses, then using the promo code GETTING when you check out. It'll save you 25% on your order. Please subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod on whatever app you're listening on. Please give a five-star rating. Please take some time to write a review. Please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on social media. Pretty, pretty, please tell someone about the pod. All of your clicking, linking, sharing, rating, reviewing, starring, tagging, and simple old school speaking about the pod is greatly appreciated. And now... Getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. And Dust is my new favorite rapper. And that sounds weird as a 42-year-old boomer to have a new favorite rapper. But I came across your music on Instagram, man. And um, I'm absolutely fucking hooked. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, letting people get to know you. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Also, I don't know if 42 is a boomer. I think that's, I think that's millennial. It's the bear. It's 81 is like tech, right. the technicals are, or technical age for millennial, 81 to like yeah, 92 yes. or something. I was born 81. Yeah. Um, but the way I roll, I just embrace the boomer. Yeah, um, you could have lied, man. This is the internet, you know? <laughs> Stay relevant. Born in 96, you know? <laughs> I grew my beard out this past winter and it was pretty damn clear. I'm closer to boomer than millennial. <laughs> I think I look, I don't know. I can't even I remember the last time I shaved the beard and the stat like if i took it all the way down i think i could pass for like 10 years younger i that's exactly I'm, I'm a school teacher and i came back from spring break with my beard and the beard was legit like four inches of hair and my whole center chin is gray so it's this big mm. wavy gray that's like salt and peppered on the yeah. side and the kids were like oh my god you look like young again <laughs> like we thought you might have been like in eighth grade and i was like yeah. Damn, that's flattering. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You still got it. Yeah. Well, it helps the jog. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I wanted to kind of start with the dust wraps, the blues. And I was telling you that um, maybe I shouldn't bring up the past records <laughs> from 2013. <laughs> but I was listening to it today, cooking dinner. And like the, the change and the blues seems like super, super predominant now. And that's mm -hmm. what caught me on Instagram. I hadn't heard anything like it. And then I didn't realize you were from like Portland. I, for some reason, I figured you'd be like Tennessee or something. So I'm yeah. really curious how that influence like crept into your music. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't really grow up listening to the blues like pre 
maybe like 15. So like halfway through high school, I remember, I think my dad had uh, like a BB King album and I put it on for whatever reason. And I was like, this is like, it just opened my eyes. It was, uh, you know, it was just like a new genre that I feel like I uncovered. And since then, I just got more and more kind of obsessed with it, uh, kind of cataloging it and going back by decade and understanding all the lineages and influences and just trying to kind of be a bit of a scholar about it. Um, cause I just found it fascinating and love the music so much and kind of connected with it in a lot of ways. And then I think evolving as like a songwriter or someone that tries to, to kind of craft, uh, craft music kind of brought me almost back 360 to the blues again, to, to appreciate it in like a new light. And so I always wanted to kind of figure out how to incorporate elements of it and what I was doing. And at that point, I just kind of was without a project and without direction. I'd been in groups for a long time and then all of a sudden was kind of solo. And so I was like, all right, let me try, you know, try to mix this blues stuff in. And I'd always been dust in a group and I did that album just to be dust wraps the blues. And then I just kind of liked it, liked how it came out and kind of pivoted the whole moniker to just be that. Uh, okay. So, and I was wondering, cause it was like 2013 to 2022, at least on Apple music. Yeah. And I was like, break. Small <laughs> I was like, this dude really either like found some Jesus or went through like a sobriety, <laughs> like Oscar ayahuasca trip or the anti-sobriety trip. I was really yeah. curious. So that was you being in groups. That was before, before 2013 was in all these groups. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of records from God, I don't know, starting in 2005. Um, kind of going back that far that I've mostly expunged or hidden on various band camps. <laughs> Some archaeologist one day, maybe you'll find them. Um, but yeah, so then Dust Refs Blues happened and then life just kind of took a detour and away from music and trying to get some like solid foundation and existence in the world and then kind of, and did some other records, some kind of more like singer songwriter, rock and roll type stuff. Uh, but then couldn't stay away. I ended up just with five or six tracks that I knew had to become a project and started putting those together. And now it's full steam ahead. Yeah. Cause you've got a second album coming out, right? Like you were promoting this, is it a single? So that, that's what makes me feel like a boomer is I don't get music and how it's put out anymore. Like back in the yeah. day, I'm waiting for the CD. What's the CD release date? Let me go and spend $17 and buy it. And now I guess like people just drop single songs here and there, or it doesn't even have to be like a full 12 to 16 track, four minute, a song thing right. anymore. So yeah, that's why I feel old. No, man, you're, I mean, I'm from the same thing. I remember like doing chores all week or for two <laughs> weeks, even save up money, beg my mom, drive me down to like Zia records, get, get a record and just consume it. Like osmosis. Yeah. You know what I mean? Read the liner notes, all the lyrics, like you become that. And it like, stays in your catalog right yeah because you're only getting 50 a year maximum or yeah. now people it's disposable right it's just it's harder to appreciate even if you want to appreciate it yeah is that part of the push for like pre-selling the records because that's kind of what you have going on now right like a, a legitimate vinyl record yeah um yeah it's cool i think you know vinyls had a big resurgence lately uh you know all the vinyl plants across the country are like slammed because so many people want to put out vinyl which I think is a great kind of cultural response to this, the disposability of music, right? Of people saying, no, I want something tangible that I can hold and look at. And a record, I, I love a record because, you know, you're not really skipping tracks generally. 
Yeah. Right. You put it on and you got to stay by it and sit and listen to it and really consume it, pay attention to it. Yeah. That's something. So I was a, pretty much a hip hop head um, growing up. And that was something that almost kind of got lost, not just the music video, but the flow, at least I felt like the flow of track to track and the little like sketch or sketches mm-hmm. in between like the setups and how they would like end them or like a theme that would go throughout where the dude would have like right. 30 seconds of some sort of short story. Right. And like that, that was part of what made it so special. Cause it was this hour and a half. It was like a movie. It was like an hour and a half experience, 90 minute mm-hmm. experience of I don't, whatever that artist was putting out there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think music, I think music is great to consume that way to, and I'm guilty of it myself. I've lost track of that and I come back to it periodically, but sit in a dark room or close your eyes and put headphones on and just experience the the record. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite rappers from, you know, when I was very young, just getting introduced to hip hop was uh, cage who came out with uh, that record movies for the blind. And I just always loved that title. Right. Cause it's, that's really what music is. And there I am again. Cage is that a West Coast rapper or who is that? He's I think he's from uh, upstate New York. Um, he had a couple couple really good albums. Uh, yeah, God, early two thousands, even late nineties. He had a good record. Okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm just writing it down. I have to check it out. That's kind of sad. Was it so two thousands? That's like puffy. Yeah, like kind of ruining hip hop for a little bit there, making it like way too commercial. Um, what was yeah. his vibe? But like, then you kind of have a little bit of that Wu Tang from New York, which or like locks. Yeah, I mean, do you know uh, like Run the Jewels? Oh, uh, did you? I discovered them like three years ago with Ozark. So at the end of like a, I forget whatever it might have been season two. Um, they played one of their songs, and it was um, whatever the one the music video where like the two senators are yelling at each other. Right. So that. So that dude, uh, LP, who who raps and produces like their beats, he was um, the founder of Def Jux, which was a label, New York label. If you kind of go back and check out all those dudes, Cage was signed to them uh, for at least one, maybe two projects. And then kind of trace it back. Uh, they're this like all these kind of horror core, like real, like just kind of uh, bizarre acid rap type uh, people from from New York. You can kind of like he was in a group called the Weathermen. Uh, that had a bunch of people in it, and it was an interesting little little renaissance moment. I feel like. Um, what was appealing about it to you? I think it was. I think my like uh, intro to hip hop was like pretty limited. Like I remember one of the first CDs <laughs> I had. So I grew up in Salt Lake City and then Phoenix, uh, Arizona. So <laughs> pretty like claustrophobic, let's say, and not even in Phoenix, like in like Cave Creek, this little town like way north of Phoenix. Uh, I remember I had a MC Hammer CD for whatever reason. I was, this is like 10 years old. Is that right? the, is that the too legit to quit when he tried to be a little more remember hardcore? The, it's the one where it's like soft focus and he's like at a podium and it's like black and white. I don't even remember. I don't even, I think it was after that, after too legit to quit. Uh, but, yeah, what was that? Pumps in a bump, pumps in a bump, pumps in a bump. Yeah. Yeah. Like the girls <laughs> Yeah, so that's like, I'm like, okay, rap. And then I made it some Beastie Boys or like some Eminem. Like D12 was like huge at like my high school, like this freshman year or whatever. But then I found this this whole other like kind of world, this like B-side where I was like, oh, this is like actually really gritty and like really weird and more off the rails even. 
And I think I just as a teenager was like, I was very into that. Was it the lyrics, the beats, or I guess a combination? Yeah, just a through and through, like a gritty, a surreal grittiness. Okay. Um, yeah, that I liked. That maybe, you know, I've tried to listen to stuff now sometimes, and I like it doesn't have the same enigmatic, like, uh, attraction that I had at that time, just being so at that age and everything. Yeah. Um, but it definitely put rap, like, in my head as probably my, my main music I was going to listen to. And what was your dress like back then? Like, how did I dress? Yeah. Poorly. <laughs> I was like halfway between like, I don't know, some like, some rapper and some like punk. Like we used to go to this, so I moved to the Bay. I was in Oakland for most of high school and got there and like had the safety pin lip ring and like <laughs> fucked up hair. And, but then like crazy baggy jeans and like the oversized shirt. <laughs> And we'd go down to Gilman Punk Club and just, like, be out of control. Really? <laughs> yeah. Lacking direction, for sure. It's, yeah, right? That's, um, were you rapping then with, with, like, a lip ring and all that stuff? Or were you more like a singer? Or I'm not really doing ever? anything. Just, yeah, not, not doing much creatively. I mean, some writing. I wanted to be a filmmaker at the time, so we'd make all these weird little movies. Uh, and then I started rapping and, like, probably 15, 16, 17, that, especially once I hit 17 and started getting like more serious, put out a project and try, thought I was the greatest, you know? Everyone does. Yeah, right. Dude, did you have like a little Eminem eight mile moment where everybody's clowning you as like the white rapper kind of guy or were you pretty excited? Uh, I feel like that was a decade. I feel like that we're past that now, but like, yeah, every person that heard you rap, especially if they liked you, they'd be like, oh, man, yeah, like, I'm really getting Eminem from this. And you're like, that's really your only reference point that you have in rap, isn't it? Because <laughs> this doesn't sound anything like Eminem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there was, I remember, uh, so the dude uh, who I first started with, uh, so he was just, like, playing guitar, and I started just, like, freestyling over it, and he was like, hey, that's, like, actually okay. And I was like, oh shit maybe i could. and he was like just a super let's say avant-garde type dude right uh uh a strange fellow loved him to death and i bet i was like we gotta enter this uh rap battle that i heard about that was like at this warehouse in like west oakland like we gotta go we gotta go and he's like dude i cannot show up in west oakland at a battle and i dragged his ass there and to his credit he did it and we got up on stage and just dragged did our best trying to battle these dudes. And that was for sure the eight mile moment, except we lost in the first round. But was he a rapper too? Or did he get up there like we, and told the DJ to like quit playing and he just busted yeah, out the guitar? Go acapella. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, he rapped a little bit. He mostly made the beats in our first project. He's a super talented musician. Okay. Um, and he, I told him, I remember like right before we went on, I was like, just go crazy, man. Just go nuts. Like bring crazy energy. We'll be all right. Yeah. We Dude. were not all right. <laughs> It did not go well. Yeah, it didn't go well. Um, were you, was it pre-planned written? Or was it, like, are you able to kind of, like, freestyle like that? Or in that moment, were you? Because, dude, I would be so nervous I'd just lock up. Like, not yeah. like I can freestyle anyway. <laughs> I mean, freestyle is definitely, like, like, now I'm probably trash. Um, but if you do it a lot, you know, you get good at it. And, I mean, first, a lot of people don't really freestyle, which I learned there, like, the people we battled, you know, it wasn't written, but like they had their punchlines that they knew they were gonna, right? 
and battle rap is definitely evolved. Not that I'm an expert on battle rap, but it's definitely evolved now into like it's all written. You know, okay. it's and it's impressive, but it's like that's what you're doing. But if you freestyle enough, you know, you get kind of a lexicon of like rhymes and phrases and like kind of turns of phrases that are clever in your like bank. So even though you're making it up, you still have these like crutches to like fill in the scaffolding so you don't have to make all of it up, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you use a particular word, I guess sticking with Eminem, because that's our only white rapping cultural reference point, orange and door hinge. Like if, if the word right. orange comes up, there's going to be something somewhere down the line that goes like door hinge. Right. Or like we used to do this thing uh, called the name game at our shows where the DJ would like, you know, kind of cut the music and be like, all right, you know, uh, Dust is going to turn around, close his eyes, everybody get an object, hold your object up in the air, I'm going to drop a beat, and then he's going to rhyme everybody's object. And, you know, sometimes people would throw you a, for a loop and it would be tight, but mostly you're going to get, like, car keys, you know, a wallet, lighter, whatever, and you kind of have ideas about what those rhyme with and what might be funny to do or say, because you've done it, you know, a hundred times on stage. How... This might be, I might be thinking about this completely wrong and I probably am, but like how far ahead of yourself in your mind are you compared to what you're saying or rapping when you're like right. freestyling like that? Is that a stupid question or is that like... No, no, it's a great question. I'm trying to like do it in my head right now to, to catch where I'm at. <laughs> I mean, I think not far, like a quarter bar, half a bar, but it's, but again, it's, it's hard to describe because it's like... It's like the scaffolding is there, like you're building it. So like you say, you know, keys and then you know you're going to say something about, you know, don't drink and drive, please. But then something like interjects in between that you like weren't even really conscious of maybe because there is this spontaneity to it yeah. or this like subconscious act like uh, interaction. Yeah, that's yeah. It, like that flow. It would be, I guess, described like as the flow state, the true creative process hopefully the only thing that's one of the things that separates us from ai yeah i don't know i'm sure ai is probably all freestyle right everything because it's computationally so fast yeah it's just fucking still just still pulling shit that's already like been made that's my only hope is like i i don't know when it'll happen and this is completely like a sidebar like i'm a scientist but you're still like it's still googling dude my daughter you know snapchat has an ai that it sends you now i don't know if you're that's terrifying Dude, and like she was up there for 20 minutes. She's like, oh my God, dad, like I have Snapchat introduced itself to my new AI friend. I'm like, what? <laughs> and it's like creepiest. It's like the Megan movie. It's like, hi, Shiloh, I'm your new AI friend. I'm here to yeah. help you have fun. And, right. You know, I'm trying, I'm like doing things like, all right, tell it that your dad said you're not allowed to snap with it. And, you know, mm -hmm. then its reply is, I'm sorry your parents feel that way, but you should always listen to them. I'll still be here when you get older and have more freedom. <laughs> <laughs> whoa damn okay yeah and you can't block it but i'm like everything's pre-programmed even though it's spontaneous it's spontaneous it's still such a large bank it's got to pull from somewhere you know she right. hit it with a lol right. and he the thing was like oh why was that funny to you mm -hmm. it's like trying to feel like you context out. and things it's not gonna but i mean they're passing the turing test right now yeah. so it's like people can't tell and it's only a matter of time i think before we're in the movie her and people, because even if you know, like you're conscious of the fact that it's not real, if it's mimicking consciousness so closely, yeah, you're like, yeah, okay, sure. It's a friend, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, is it worse than the crazy cat lady? 
Or yeah. is it worse than just having a dog? Like what it's human consciousness that's been replicated or a dog? What's like less sad if you just were hanging out with well, it? Or how about this hypothetical? So say you had a, they made an AI that was just gave the best advice. Like it queried like every philosophical text ever written and like every moral interpretation. And you could just ask it like, Hey, I've got this thing. I don't know if I should tell this person this or that or whatever your problem is. And it just, every time it gives you this advice, you're like, Holy shit, that's perfect. Would you go to that? Or would you go to your actual friend who knows you and you have a you know rapport with for 20 years? Oh no, dude, you're going AI. You're going to bat a thousand, right? Like so a better friend then in a way. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, if the if that's part of the friends' like purpose, I guess it is kind of the friends' purpose. It's not like I'm I a think ditch. It's, ditch oh, it's almost like a primary purpose, I think. Of friends, I think like talking about talking things out, like sound sounding board, and right. you know, I mean, I guess we reach for friends like in in the, the best of times and the worst of times, right? It's yeah. usually like an extreme. Yeah, I see. I'm thinking more like trust, but then you go to AI and you're like, that's probably even more trustworthy too if it's sealed. Right, right. You know, like people get like scorned in a relationship and be like, dude, I'm going AI. I'm over this. <laughs> I'm done with people. Right. And then I mean, we already have incels. I feel like that's just one, it's a logical next step. Dude, till the AI gets scorned and then all of a sudden it's like, motherfucker, you thought she had receipts? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, you're talking now, like 50 years from now, once like they're sentient, like just like try to kill us. Yeah. Terminators. Like the first 50 years are going to be great. Cause you can just like skip the fight, skip the argument, fast forward. Honeymoon you know? period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, well, so the sentient thing actually takes me back to the filmmaker thing for you. So you've always kind of had this like creative artsy vibe to you. I think so. Yeah. My, my parents were like very, uh, opposite. And so I had got this like really intense, like analytical side for my dad and this very like fiery kind of artistic DIY vibe for my mom. And so I've always like battled those, those two things, which is really like, we talked about taking a whatever 10 year break from music. And it's like, yeah, the logical side just like killed the other side for like a decade. And then I had to like resurrect, you know? In what way? Just kind of like, I think, overindulging the creative side for like the first part of my life and then realizing like, oh, okay, I need to like do something. I need to like have a job, <laughs> right? Like function in the world. And then I just overcorrected the other way, right? And was like, I'll, I'll, you know, just be like a business person or whatever. Just use, use the analytical part of my brain. And I think for me anyways, like the more I focus on one thing, the less good I am at other things. Yeah. It, dude, that's tough. Especially when you're skilled at a lot of things, because you know how good you can be when you are focused on it. Yeah. And in a way it's like, it's good to be just hyper-focused, right? Like, yeah. like don't try to work everything. I've actually, I was reading something recently that was like, don't try to get better at things you're bad at. Like mm -hmm. try to get better at things you're good at because you're probably always going to be bad at whatever your weaknesses are and just screw it. Just leave them as weak as possible. Or, and like Naval, I think I saw this maybe like a year ago. He was like, so if you're bad and you get to good and it's a marketplace thing, right? Mm. What about the people who are already good? 
you're not setting right. yourself apart. You're not an elite. However, right. we value elite. So to go to your point, like if you are good at stuff, it's why not like triple down on it and just become like the alpha of it. Yeah. Yeah. Get great. First, get great at something and then try to be better at things you're actually legitimately bad at. Yeah. Yeah. It's, right. long, I guess, but like then there's the balance of the burnout. Right. And if you're just grinding on that one thing, it would just at some point it would have to, I would assume, I don't know. I've never been great at anything. I don't think. So I don't know like no. if I've really like grinded super hard mm -hmm. on one thing for a sustained period of time, maybe like what a college this? degree. Where are you at with uh, like your 10,000 hours? Yeah, not spread thin. So I got to I paused, I coached middle school basketball. Mm -hmm. So that takes four months. Um, and then uh, it, it's a little bit of a chore to like get back into the flow. So I feel like I, I kind of start peeking, but then it's even weird like asking questions. I'll get in my head about how I'll phrase certain questions to people. Am I talking too much? Am I not talking enough? How do I interject to like, I'm the consistent part of the pod, but really it's you that mm -hmm. I'm like trying to introduce to this hodgepodge of people right. and figuring out how we're all people and just the commonality of getting to know different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I remember like every time I start, I'm like, fuck man, that was clunky or fuck man, that was awkward or whatever, curse mm -hmm. too much or just even like the display messaging of like promoting it, you know, mm -hmm. like making reels and shit like that. I'm like, I, you forget editing techniques. Like, oh, that I could have clipped that out. Oh, I could have done this intro better. Right. And um, it, it kind of makes it less enjoyable. Cause you go back to like the bad where I feel like if I just been steady at it, I would mm -hmm. be progressing better. So you feel like, cause you're intermittent, you're kind of like relearning a little bit each time. There's a learning curve each startup. And then it's yep. hard to like grow. It feels a little stagnant with what I'm doing with it. Right. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, especially now with like any type of content, consistency is key. And that consistency, at least to me, feels like, inauthentic well it's it's inauthentic yeah for me personally because i don't want sometimes i'm like i don't have anything to say like, <laughs> well you fucking better if you want to be not forgotten and it's like damn okay i feel like the beatles didn't put out music this often but you know yeah. so yeah maybe uh i don't know maybe it's about just finding enough time to do like one a month or so it's not zero yeah you know? yeah yeah no that that would be the mature thing to do but i probably i don't know drink too much and then in, try to enjoy like daddy daughter moments. You know, my kid will be busy right. and she's doing stuff. And then it's hard to whatever. There's a spontaneous sleepover. She needs something. I'm like, Oh, sorry. I had this pod scheduled at eight o'clock. Right. Can't help you out, kid. You know, See, you're not willing to sacrifice your, your family, your <laughs> friends, your happiness, then you're never going to make it. Exactly. You know? Give it all up. Sell my soul. What yeah. What did you give it up for? What was your business job? Was it like one thing? Did you bounce around different companies? It was a bunch of stuff. I when I I dropped Dust Raps of Blues, it's like the month or month after I moved to Israel. Um, oh my god! I was like, so that was hard. I, I eventually found a studio there and did like a couple things, but uh, lived there for a while and then came back and was like between law school and business school and um, yeah, then just doing just doing corporate stuff, basically like the most boring, you know, shit imaginable. I, I've actually given some thought to becoming a lawyer when I like get to 55 and retire from teaching, like get like 30 years into teaching 
And then be like, mm-hmm. no, man, I'm just going to go to law school and see if I could do it. What about the teacher's pension? Isn't that kind of the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, might as well use it. But like, what else am I going to do with like 25 more years, right? So you still get your pension. I see. I see. And then pivot to like something totally yeah, pivot different. pivot to law and then just like help knucklehead kids or whatever, open up your practice or get hired by somebody. And just, but just to be like, I don't know, it'd be kind of cool to be like, to have that title, a little bit of that esteem. Cause for me, like, I don't know about you, but for me, like lawyers are pretty elite, elite position mm-hmm. to hold. It's not like average. It's well, well above average in my view. I don't know. I think we should change that. Teacher should be above lawyer. <laughs> I mean, really, like, not playing to my audience, you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, anybody can go to law school, you know? Depends which school, but, you know, there's there's an unfathomable number of law schools in the country. Really? And they are highly incentivized to have you graduate, have you get a job, you know, because that's how they're graded, um, yeah. you know, and ranked. Whereas, you know, I don't know, teacher takes a lot of, of specific like qualities and determination and it fundamentally, I think, involves probably a lot more sacrifice and giving back for the greater good of society. Oh, for dude, for sure, when you're in it. But like just to become a teacher, way easier than becoming a lawyer. I don't know. I don't know. Dude, definitely. I, I mean, I, I bet we could find a... a <laughs> three-year law program that you could do in your sleep basically yeah but you this is no offense to my friends who are lawyers <laughs> <laughs> well you guys are idiots. no i'm just kidding <laughs> i mean all you do is read and write really really well really really specifically yeah. and now with chat gbt you're probably not even doing that mm-hmm. um but you've got to have I mean, a... some are tough some are tough i'm just saying it's a yeah. huge gradient like gotcha. a half over half the world's lawyers are in the united states which is crazy if you think about how population-wise we should not account yeah. for that many. Uh, I didn't but know that. Yeah, we've created a society that's – I mean like I'll work with lawyers. This is great. We should just talk shit about lawyers the rest of the podcast. Um, <laughs> I'll work with lawyers at work and I'll like write something and they're like, yeah, let me rewrite it. And I'm just like, okay, you literally just rewrote it to be less clear. And they're like, no, 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 but this is like how it should be. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it just should be that way so that if that clause ever comes up, I have to call you to argue it in court. The way I wrote it is just clear. And so I think there's a self-perpetuating like ethos built into their profession, right? To keep themselves employed. It's, yeah, yeah. They say that about the um, director of homelessness programs in like Los Angeles. Like mm. you're, you got whatever a million dollar salary. Why would you ever solve homelessness? You're oh, disincentivized right. to do it. And if lawyers make clear contracts, that when do they ever see you again? Yeah, yeah. It's like the opposite of planned obsolescence. It's like planned requirement. Planned obsolescence. Right. I I should also track how many words you use that I have to look up, or how many like things you reference where I'm like, damn. No, that's a like designed obsolescence, I think was like the phrase, right? Because it's like technology. They basically like build stuff to break, to become obsolete. Like Apple, I can't remember the details of it. It was like a couple years ago, I want to say, got in trouble because they literally found out that like a month before releasing a new iPhone, they would like throttle everyone else's iPhone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, And it's like, it's it's illegal, right? You can't, basically you have a contract tacitly with the consumer that you're not going to do that. Yeah. but your stock won't go up, right? You can't grow. And America's yeah. all about growth and it's all about like gaining resources. And I guess lawyers kind of 
keep that organized. And it, it really is amazing the respect now that like you're thinking about it. Cause so I'm also a landlord and I've evicted people. Like I've gone to court and people like you were able to evict them. I was like, yeah, dude, it's, it's a law. So you like read it and it says, give them a letter three days after rent's due. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, that's it. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. And they're like, oh, my lawyers always handle that. I'm like, well, that's, I guess why you give them 12% a month of your rent. <laughs> Right. Like the one time I had to do it, it cost me 20 bucks to file the paper and it was done. And like, whatever, 20 minutes of my time. But like, that's, that's kind of where it's at is they're just highly organized. And I guess they just know the loopholes too, but it's not, yeah, now that you're thinking about it, maybe I shouldn't have such esteem for it because it really is just knowledge of applications, knowledge of procedures I mean, and policies. It's a trade, right? And I respect it as a trade. And yeah. like, you know, there's immigration lawyers out there helping people. Like there's lawyers that do a lot of good in the world. I, I used to work with like incarcerated kids and there were like public defenders there who really cared and like yeah. all that stuff's great. But I also have friends that are like, you know, a plumber. Uh, and yeah. it's like, to me, I'm like, yeah, okay. I, in my head, to be honest, I view those as like completely equal trades. Like they're both just like applied skills that require like immense knowledge of all the ins and outs and experience. Like, oh, I've seen this before. I know we should do X, Y, Z. And they're both like pretty, I mean, probably equally valuable. I guess if like you're about to go to prison for life, having a lawyer is maybe better than like if your toilet doesn't work. But like shower those are extreme circumstances, right? Like you pretty much need the right person when you need the right person. And those are both the right people for their respective things. Is part of the perspective you traveling so much? Because now I'm wondering, like, because uh, I've always heard travelers are like, and when you live different places, you just become way more thoughtful because you truly experience different cultures. It's not like going to Israel for a weekend or me going to Oakland for a week or something. Like living in all these places is, how's that shaped your perspectives? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, like, I wouldn't know, right? Because I only know the me that's me, but you know, I definitely like, it was definitely valuable experience, but at the same time, some of my most like balanced worldly friends like traveled the least. Right. Um, so I think it can come from probably a lot of places. Uh, I think living in diverse places in the States definitely helped like politically, like, like when I moved to the Bay, I, you know, I had a lot of friends there who like, didn't know that they're like, were conservative people in the world, basically. I mean, they know like conceptually that there are, but like they don't know it. Or like military, like probably like half, two thirds of my friends in like Arizona were like active military, you know, a couple of years out of high school, right? And I'd be in the Bay and people would just like so disconnect. This was like right when Iraq war was happening and stuff too, Afghanistan, Iraq. And I'm like, yeah, like I have friends that like were over there and they're like, what? Like, how do you know somebody? For, and I'm like, what? This is like, we live in the same country. <laughs> you know? So that's definitely helpful. Yeah, the perspective, humanistic knowing. Dude, that's great. Don't know conservative people. Dude, that's the bubble. I mean, everyone knows about the echo chambers and stuff, but it's like very real, I think. You know? Yeah, maybe that's my body. Like, I, maybe that's part of me just being in a public school for 15 years even though it's Southern Delaware, so that's its own little bubble, you do mm-hmm. see what 700 different kids every year, you know, yeah. and like interact with it. And it gives you a large perspective of what matters, what's important, what people emphasize. 
you know, yeah. family values. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I could, if that was taken away from me and I was just working like in a restaurant somewhere, the perspective would be like the interaction, the daily interaction would be so much more limited in scope. I mean, I think worse, like you're in some white collar thing, right? Like you work in San Francisco, white collar job. Like, I mean, it's pretty much like, you know, probably social suicide to be at all conservative. And so it's like, you're just not going to be there or keep it private, uh, you know? Yeah, they've, I've heard, not that I know any actors, but I've heard that um, like Joe Rogan gets on that about Hollywood and how it's tough to be conservative. You lose roles. Like you have to conform to the people in powers liking you, like their opinion of you. And I guess in the corporate world, it would be the same thing if you're trying to go upward. Like you've got oh, yeah, it. I think it's true anywhere you are, right? Like people don't like you. It's not going to be good no matter what you're doing. <laughs> Yeah. right that's why we have like conformity in general it's like part of like the value of society right so we don't like kill each other right we like conform to expectations but it's just rough when those expectations like transcend decency and become like value-based yeah because right values are subject to interpretation and change and we get them wrong all the time you know Pol Pot thought you should kill everybody that wore glasses it's like that's crazy, right? But at the time, it wasn't crazy. They were like, yeah, so we got to do. Pol Pot? I've never heard. Why have I never yeah. heard of this? Like, uh, I mean, there's, you know, a workers, quote unquote, I guess, like workers' rights, uh, you know, anti-bourgeois, like, movements that have resulted in these huge genocides uh, where people, you know, just as an example, people that wore glasses were, like, infected with, like, bourgeois ideas, right? Because they could, like, read. They weren't, like, farmers, and so they'd kill him in the hundreds of thousands. When did that happen? Or in yeah. where? I don't know. We need we need a Jamie to like look <laughs> stuff up. <laughs> I so need a Jamie. It's in Cambodia. Let's see. I'll look up Pol Pot. He was years of service. I love how they say service. <laughs> 63 to 1997. In Cambodia? Mm-hmm. That's Yeah. So, you know, not to compare necessarily the modern tension in america to that but it's like you see where things can go right like i got this book uh it's a history of all genocides i've been it's like i don't know it's probably like three thousand pages i've been reading it for like five years because <laughs> it's so depressing it's on my nightstand uh but it's crazy to me it just really like because you just go through and you're like there's so many at so many different times and like ones that we know like as genocide, like the people that got killed had committed a genocide 200 years prior against the other people. And so it's just like everyone is doing this throughout history. And you just see like how dangerous the social apparatus and social power can be. Because basically just everybody gets a thought in their head and they're like, yeah, we got to go kill the people because they look like that. It's like, oh man, you know? Yeah, it's a weird safety in America, especially, I guess, if you're not living in like in, in a violent place, you know, like I'm, I'm fucking beach town, Southern Delaware, like you might have a shooting every couple weeks, but very few lethal shootings. And that's mm -hmm. fortunate. You know, you don't like worry about walking at night in a lot of places around here or anything like that. And then you take it to some sort of extreme where people are legitimately being hunted and persecuted. Like could not imagine, like it, I just can't even empathize with that because I have no idea what that emotion would do to you. Yeah. And it's like how fast it, it gets activated, right? Like, 
I think Rwanda was the most people killed the fastest, the shortest amount of time. So it was like, you know, there's some tension in society for a while between two groups, but you're living your life, right? You got your friends, your family, your job, your whole situation. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, nope, people are at the door. They're killing the whole family. And they're just going door to door. And you're like, what? <laughs> this is, you know, insane. But it's like it exists in the fabric of, I guess, humanity, you know? Savages, man. It is a weird thing that we have such a history and like the awareness of how this works out. Like there, it's pretty well aware that you can, as long as resources are there, you can share and get along and be accepted, right? It's really when resources become super limited, when people like should truly fight, like scarcity. But if it's just greed, we kind of know. I don't know, know if it's always economic though. I think a lot of times it's just like groups. It's just like identity. Like I identify as a thing that's other than you and your other is like less than my other. So I need to like get rid of you. Yeah, right. But like what I'm, I get that, but I, it's that's still like, why is that super relevant if it's happened so many times and we've seen how that plays out and now we can understand, like, I feel like the, you have the capacity to understand if you played a movie to a bunch of chimps about other chimps raiding and killing and plummeting and raping. And then you're like, does it make you feel bad? I don't know if a chimp would feel bad seeing that shit. But I feel like people at any level would feel bad if they saw that. Right. And they probably would until they were the ones that felt they needed to do it. And then they would do it. Yeah. But like, yeah, but, but the why, right? That's what I don't get. Like why yeah. the, the anger would get there with the knowledge of. It, it's like baked in, man. Like uh, if you go to Yad Vashem, it's the uh, Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. It's like a very intense place, obviously. Uh, they have this like exhibit of all the pre-war propaganda that like infiltrated german citizens uh like leading up to the war right and it's like chess sets with like these hideously deformed like jewish characters right and like comic books and like cereal boxes and stuff like that right and you realize like this is this was a slow burn it wasn't like overnight they were just like hey we got to get rid of all the jews right they they let it permeate people's consciousness to other them for like years, right? And until people had these like opinions that were like, yeah, did you hear they're closing that factory? And then they just connect the dots, it's the Jews, right? All these bad things, they become scapegoated until people, then they kind of like become uh, malleable to this idea of, well, let's just like kick them out. Let's just this, let's just that, let's just, let's just build a gas chamber and put them all in there one at a time and trains. And like, you're like, yeah. People just slowly consent to it each each step, you know? And yeah, maybe if you showed them the video, that same person would be horrified, but they wake up in that situation being the perpetrator of the video. It's, we were in um, Boston recently and they had, um, I don't know if it's exactly a memorial, I don't know what to call it, but they had six columns that I guess represented the six death camps or six of the death camps. Mm -hmm. I was, I'm honestly not even sure how many like total death camps there were that mm. the Nazis built, but each one had a name and you went in there and you read like these quotes. And the one quote that kind of stuck with me, gave me perspective. It was this soldier and I, who knows if it was true or not, but the fear for himself of not complying to the orders mm -hmm. and not standing up 
and you're like, you've heard about these Russians that can't trust the state, you know, and it's very secretive. And you just wonder how many conversations were had with those soldiers to be like, what the fuck are we doing, man? Like, oh, like, sure. like what, what, why are we fucking doing this to, to kids, to people like they're people? What, yeah. how about, how about we stop? How about we say no to whatever rank goes above them? And like, mm -hmm. how did that just not happen? How come nothing like clicked in the brain to make that like revolt happen yeah. early on? Yeah. I mean, you, you want it to, right? Like historical revisionist, you're like, you wish the, for the best in people, but people are scared and petty and worried for their families. And, you know, the timing doesn't work. They're all thinking that thought at different moments and you don't see a, you know, enough of your peers doing it. And so it doesn't feel safe to be the first right? one. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's like, I think the lessons from these type of like thoughts is like be questioning your identity, questioning whether you're othering people, whether you think you're, you're better or what, what group you're ascribing yourself to. And if you're getting any worth from that and then question, like, are you doing, is there something that you like wish you would be doing to, to be the person you like want to see yourself as in the story. Right. Cause you can't really rely on like the social, narrative you're like well i'm like equal to my peers and it's like well everyone was equal to their peers when they were doing something terrible throughout history <laughs> that's not good you know man that is i'm curious about israel and you traveling there and like i, I guess the the history and the knowledge that i wouldn't have experienced as a kid growing up in america with middle school and you read number the stars you do like the typical five week Holocaust unit mm -hmm. and like, you're kind of done with it. You know, you understand it's like, and then you read some stories and it's always like the Nazis are the bad people and the right. Jews were escaping and it was horrible and everyone kept dying and their stuff got taken and it was brutal. But like, I don't know, like what you just brought up the chess pieces, like that's really crazy to think about that slow cultural manipulation. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about other things that you experienced that like, I don't know, would, would be new to me or like coming back to the States being like, oh, these people have no idea. Yeah, I mean, two things, I think opposite sides of, of the coin. But one other thing that blew my mind is you can, and this sounds like a conspiracy theory type thing, but it's it's not. I mean, it's, it's like it's factual, unfortunately. But you can look at like uh, bombing raids from U.S. planes towards the end of the war in World War II. And they would bomb like, uh, you know, German military establishments or like, you know, supply depots and things like that related to the war. And they would miss the train tracks that were taking Jews to like Dachau and Auschwitz stuff. And of course, you could just say like, oh, it's coincidence. Like they just didn't hit any tracks. Right. But there's quite an abundance of these like raids that never hit the tracks. And you kind of get the impression they're like, yeah, we want to win the war because, you know, you can't let uh, the regime take over like they tried to previously, right? The, the uh, uh, German military. But while we're winning the war, if they get rid of as many Jews as they can, that's kind of okay. You know? That's the center. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a try to maintain the infrastructure of the society. But presumably that's what we wanted to bomb, right? We're trying to, we're trying to stop them from 
from having the ability to for themselves to be mobile more so yeah. than like worried about rebuilding afterwards i see what you're saying yeah and so. we know where the tracks are going like we've got the intel right and i mean you know you can trace that same thing to like ibm right built all the uh computers that kept track of everybody killed in the holocaust and it's like you know yeah that was an american company really mm -hmm. yeah that was the first computer it was like used to catalog jews no shit yeah it's pretty crazy i mean a lot of companies uh bm bmw right their symbol is the prop plane of a plane flying okay because right? they built uh war machines there you know in germany for the germans Mm -hmm. Yeah, German German company. At least they're a German company. IBM's like American. Yeah, right. Oh man. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, collaboration, Catholic Church with Hitler, and you know, yeah. But then I was gonna say the flip side of that coin because I think it's important is, you know, Israel's a place, a controversial place in the in the world, rightfully so, and you know, you just see how these cascading power struggles just continue and how you know empathy is a hard thing to maintain intergenerationally or even within the same generation going through all this trauma you know and it's 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 like the human struggle it's very very difficult what made you go over there um so i mean i'm jewish half jewish so i uh you know you get a free trip and i was like yeah man i'm taking a free trip for sure uh, and then they really want you to stay. I mean, they're just basically trying to like populate the place with Jews. Um, oh. so, you know, I, I kind of jumped on it just as an opportunity to like experience a new place and met a ton of like, you know, great people over there, uh, who are still, I'm still friends with to this day. So I go back, you know, I don't know, every year, every other year or so. Uh, yeah. So just kind of a, a thing I didn't really want to turn down and wanted to experience, and, you know, definitely made the time to go over to the West Bank and talk to people over there and, you know, kind of just experience as much of the whole like region as was accessible. And what's that do for you and like shaping you and your morality? I don't know. You know, I don't know that it like I definitely uh, like met people over there who are from the States who like I would say were brainwashed <laughs> to use a strong term. Right. Just like hook, line and sinker. Uh, I find that pretty problematic, obviously. Um, Brainwashed so I don't know if into... Just, uh, you know, you go there and it's there There can be a nationalistic narrative, right? Like, Israel's great, you should join the army, and like, uh, da 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 and They're like, all of a sudden... Because, you know, we don't necessarily have, like, a super strong cultural identity here in the States. We're, like, a melting pot, right? Everybody, uh, and especially, like, Jews, like, West Coast Jews, like, you know not super religious and like probably don't even go to like temple or like no and so you go over there and all of a sudden you're like oh i'm part of this like thing and you know that can lead you yeah that has, has positives and negatives right but the yeah. negative side is kind of the precursor to all the stuff we've just been talking about yeah right? the tribalism where you have to you have to stand up for your tribe yeah you're gonna be a so i didn't feel like that before i didn't feel like that while i was there <laughs> i didn't feel like it after all the friends i made over there didn't don't feel like that <laughs> you know um but it's it's just a cool you know it's cool to go to another place see other cultures understand it a little more um i think it's an important thing important conversation for the u.s to have given how much money we give israel you know what conversation 
just the conversation of like, you know, if Israel's an ally, how do you hold them accountable? Like, do you hold them accountable to, you know, how do you evaluate their actions as good or bad or um, humanitarian or not humanitarian? You know, it's, uh, it's easy to, it's easy to have a side one way or the other, you know, and, and not a lot of people, a lot of people that have a very strong opinion haven't maybe investigated that or gone over or, you know, whatever. And I'm maybe a little worldly, not worldly traveled, but like read a news story a day. Who knows what it is? I'll do a little more than just read the headline. And like, I enjoy different aspects of history. I've yet to read a book about like the Israel Palestine conflict to really understand. But as you're talking, I'm like, Israel's are the good guys. Palestine's are the bad guys. And like, that's, my immediate reaction. And it's like, well, if someone were to be like, well, why do you think that? Like, I don't know why I think that for some reason, I just think that immediately without even knowing ultimately like, yeah, they're fighting over land, but one of them stealing land from the other one. And like, that's as deep as I could go. But I feel like that maybe goes to your point about America trying to hold Israel accountable. Cause I don't know if there is much critical talk about Israel, especially yeah, in the Judeo Christian, like, based world or based society. It's like Israel is that Holy land, right? Like that's like you, yeah. Pat Robertson exactly. plans trips to take people there. <laughs> you get tour buses, you know, exactly. like it's, it's business on top of it. It's marketing on top of it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, all the Jews got to go to Israel before Jesus comes back. Right. That's the, that's the story. Oh, is that, is that why it's a free trip if you're Jewish? No, that's just the Israeli government <laughs> wanting you to move there. But, but yeah, I mean, there it's baked into the the um, you know uh, Christian like DNA of the country, right? Is to have that relationship, and that's why I say I think the conversation is p- important. Like, regardless of what anybody's beliefs are, just to have it and be open to having it, and however you feel, open to being convinced and maybe feel the other way at least a little bit because it's, it's complicated and people are suffering and, you know, yeah, it's an important part of being human, I think, to try to like figure stuff like that out. Yeah. Did it do going over there? Did it do anything in a religious aspect for you? Like make you feel more moral, less moral? Sometimes like when I started going to church and then when I needed church and it didn't work out for me, I got kind of spiteful and I actually was like, you know, I think I'm just going to kind of make my own Jesus in my own heart. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to keep going to these places where these people preach at me. And then I feel like they don't live up to what they're preaching. And it was a huge turnoff for me. And I'm curious, but I've never gone to a country that's connected to like my roots. Like my last name's O'Grady. I don't know if, would that be like Irish Catholic? Like if I went to Ireland, if I'd have some sort of like Mm -hmm. religious experience going back to where my heritage is. Yeah. I mean, you might, I mean, I, I get the appeal and like, I, the first time I was there, I went to Jerusalem, you know, sundown on Shabbat and it was snowing and like, you know, people invite you into their homes to like say the prayer and you're like, this is cool. But then I'm like, where are the women? And they're like, oh, they're in like the crawl space because they can't be. And you're like, right, because this is fucked up. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, you can enjoy like a a moment of connection, but then for me at least you also realize like there are reasons I've consciously chosen to like not do this, gotcha. you know, I didn't realize it was like that. It's so still pretty heavily misogynistic. 
Well, I think they would object to the term misogyny gotcha. uh, because culturally, like the th- this is in like Orthodox Judaism, right? Like okay. the very Hasidic, like right. They have this thing. I, as far as I understand it, anyways, I don't want to mess it up because I'm not Hasidic, so I don't speak for the right. But that women are like born perfect, and so they basically like don't need to participate in stuff. And so, like, everything's gender segregated and, like, the men need to, like, pray and, like, study the Torah all day and the women can, like, cook and clean and take care of, like, the 10 kids. Interesting. And from my perspective, I'm looking at that being, like, this feels very misogynistic. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. It's because they're great. They're great. <laughs> That's, wow. That's really good PR. Who's their PR person? I know, right? They'd say God, probably. <laughs> They'd say what? <laughs> Yahweh? Is that, would that yeah. be Yahweh? Yahweh, yeah. Eloheinu. Man, dude, that's so. Does how does be? And if this is offensive, I don't mean to be, but I feel like it might be. Like, is how is being a Jew and like your identity part? Because I like I almost think of my own identity. I'm like, how much of my identity comes from O'Grady? I, I don't have like a religious or a heritage aspect I truly identify with. I'm like, maybe it empowers me to drink more. Cause I'm like self-fulfilling prophecy style. Like I should just be a fucking drunk right. kind of a thing. You're like I listen to flogging Molly and I got to pound this no. whiskey. And- <laughs> exactly. It's perfectly acceptable for me to day drink any fucking time I want. As yeah. long as I'm functioning. I think, I think that's a super good point. Uh, like, okay. One thing I've tripped out about on is, um, all right. In Judaism, the lineage goes through the mother. So if your mom, which I, I'm not hundred percent sure about this, but I think traces back to the time that the Romans, took over uh you know the land of palestine where the jews were there and there was so much rape right that you only knew who the mother was you wouldn't necessarily know who the father was so right that gets instilled in the culture like i dated a modern orthodox girl when i was in israel and i was not jewish to her or her family because my mom was not jewish but on in the states we have a like paternalistic you take the man's surname right not the mother's surname so my dad is jewish and has a jewish last name so i get a jewish last name so i'm walking around with jews being not jewish and i'm walking walking around with gentiles being super jewish right because they go by my last name super weird so they're like a lot of moments not a lot but certainly a strong handful that stand out to me of like anti-semitism uh, where I almost like took me a minute to realize it because I was like, wait, what? Cause I'm what? And they're like, oh, right. Cause my last name, this person like thinks all these things about me that I don't identify with really at all. Like what? I mean, I mean, one, I can remember one time, uh, my friend and I were going, uh, we, it was like after college, really cliche. Like we're going to like get a backpack and like go to Europe. Right. And we're going Hostels. to Train yeah, hostels, like, dude, it was bad. We ran out of money in, like, like three weeks. Uh, we went to, like, Heathrow, and this dude at security, like, at customs or whatever, was, like, messing with us, like, so intensely, like, super intimidating. And I was, like, dead tired, like, red-eye flight tired. And the dude's, like, asking me, like, what my parents do for a living. I'm, like, telling him, you know, my dad's this, my mom is deceased. And he's, like, uh, how did she die? Do you have her death certificate? And I'm like, bro, what? And like, he's literally grilling us for like 20, 30 minutes here, asking us all these inappropriate questions. And I realized like, oh, this dude is like anti-Semitic. 
and he's like asking us all these questions about like if we're gonna go to temples while we're there and like why we think that's okay and like the church and like all this shit and it's like you kind of connect it and then i got to get up in the guy's face and like make it you know i need to talk to your supervisor blah 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 but it's like this terse moment or like in utah i remember my mom and i going to join the boy scouts and i remember they turned me away like they were full or whatever even though all my friends and when we walked away my mom had to like sit me down and be like listen like this is why they didn't want you in there and like it's okay it's not your fault but like this is a thing in the world because of a jewish last name yeah i mean this is like mormon country yeah so like they don't want you around because they're worried you're going to hell or they're worried like you're gonna spread judaism to like their mormonism like what what's the like what's the weird so all my i knew one atheist one catholic ironically those only two i'm still friends with from like elementary school (laughs) or like still keep in touch with the rest were all mormon and i remember like saturday nights no sleepovers and Mm -hmm. so i'd be like over there and it'd be like you know two friends out of friend's house and me and i gotta go home but they can like have a sleepover because i can't be there sunday morning Oh, uh, for because they go I'm, to church. I'm I just I'm the Jew. Like, it'd be super easy to have my mom just give me in the morning or whatever. But yeah. it was like, no. That's trippy as hell to me. But what are they doing Sunday morning that they're excluding you from going to church? I mean, I would think they'd be like, like wanting me to go to church so they could, you know, like convert, convert you. <laughs> yeah, right. Like save your soul. That's what I'm getting at. Like yeah. why? It, yeah. Like the ultimate purpose of most religions, just like. Israel wants citizens, religion wants tithers, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, why wouldn't that be the spin versus exclusion? I don't know. Maybe they just didn't like me. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just like, you're not really... His freestyles really do know, Like, it's not hateful. I mean, those, those stories span, you know, there's other ones that are like more hateful, <laughs> more intense, right? But mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's just like an othering, right? It's just like... Hey, you don't like fit in here. And so like, know your, know your place, know your time, you know? Dude, that's tough, man. I, I didn't realize the, is it just Hasidic Jews that recognize the maternal lineage or is that like an Israeli based thing? Jews or, have this weird thing where there's like or all reform of- Judaism, which is what most Jews are in the States, which like doesn't really exist in Israel. Like in Israel, you're like, conservative or like Hasidic, which are just like degrees of intensity, but it's all pretty intense. Or you're like an atheist, which I believe is like the highest concentration there, certainly in like the major cities, right? Really? And then in the States, you get this like reform Judaism, which is like, you know, people who are like, yeah, like maybe I go to temple once a year, but I like light the Hanukkah candles. And, you know, probably how a lot of Christian identified people are. Yeah, go to Easter. You know, you hit a Christmas Eve service up. Right. Lord and so for them, like, you know, whatever. You're Jewish if you're Jewish. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, because yeah, that was something that I felt really stupid about. Like, it reminded me of the internet. Like, I was today days old when I learned. Mm-hmm. And I forget when it was, but it was maybe in my 30s where it's like, so like Judaism isn't like a religion. It's kind of like a race. Like, you think of Jews as like, a set of people born somewhere, not like they accept a God. And well, it's both, right? It's a yeah. religion and an ethnicity. And but, you could be just one or both or, you know, whatever. Okay. Yeah. So the ethnicity part to me blew my mind when I 
like, I don't know why I never put that together, but you're like bringing these things up. And I'm like, this is part of like the educational system where I'm like, like world, I don't know if you can fit it all into educational system, but I'm like, I feel, I feel like some of these things, maybe I just always signed up for the wrong classes or just smoked way too much, man. To like pay attention. No, there's not that many Jews, man. We're, you know, to, to learn, to learn about it. You know, we're a tiny percent of the population. That's super interesting. And it's like super, like if you're learning about this Holocaust and you're like, why wouldn't you also include a little bit of a dive into what the religion is of the people who were chosen to be persecuted? Yeah, probably true of so many of those, so many cultures that we just have to boil things down into like two dimensions because it's like too much to, you know, keep track of. You super simplify it. Yeah. Man, I, um, that was a little deeper and heavier than I um thought stuff would happen. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> no, dude, not not at all because it, it was super insightful for me. I'm just like, I'm trying to think because I was about to ask another question, which I feel like would be super, may, maybe a little deep. But you mentioned your mom passing and like throughout your music, you reference, she's referenced very often. I'm assuming you write, do you write all your stuff? Like collaborate yeah. a little bit? Yeah. No, just me. Dude, that's impressive as hell, man. Like your lyrics and the wittiness of the wording is um, like it's it's entertaining. I, I I don't know what's gonna happen. I like the way that you phrase things. It's creative as hell. Wow. Um, Thank you. I so, appreciate that. Yeah, like true wordsmith. So she gets brought up a lot in your lyrics, and I'm just curious. I want to know about your relationship with her, and like, did she? I thought there was a song where you reference like you're saving up all this money just to watch your mom die of cancer or something yeah. similar to that. And I was just curious about what actually happened with your mom. Yeah. Um, she got cancer. Uh, she was sick, like my whole life pretty much from the time I was really little anyways, like seven, uh, with just like a myriad of things, um, uh, like on disability and just a lot of like caretaking, uh, with me and my mom and vice versa. I mean, being a single mom, you know, uh, but when I was 20, she got, uh, diagnosed with cancer and fought, uh, for three years, uh, and then, and then passed and, you know, trying to take care of her during that time. And, uh, it's a tough, you know, I asserted like my independence a lot, you know, as a kind of teenager into my early twenties. And so it was very tough to have her die kind of before I, figured out how to come back to my parents and like appreciate them, you know? So I was very dutiful. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it's a, it was a, it was a consequential, I guess, three years of my life. I dutiful is an interesting word. I'm, I'm good. Like, man, I don't know. I'm not trying to be like insensitive, not trying to be nosy, but it, it seemed like it had an impact and it seems, and I might be wrong there. I think there was this one song, 11 AM. It had like a really church itch ish vibe to it. It was just a guitar. And I believe it was you singing and it's like giving anything to hear my mom's voice one more time. Yeah. And like I did, dude, I was actually, I hit that song as I was going, it's not like I was so sensitive. I was going to cry, but like knowing I'm going to talk to you tonight, I was like, that just seemed like a really, for some reason it stood out and very, heartfelt uh, compared to all the other music which is you know like getting women getting drunk wake up sober <laughs> i can fix that shit i'll just have another drink you know and like just it 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 mostly is sad but it's like a fun sad 
And that song hit me and that moment hit me as like a real regretful sad. So do, yeah. do you mind sharing a little more about like the conflict or the duty and her being or needing care? Yeah. Um, or if not, we can talk about something else, man. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. About I can it. talk about happier stuff like genocide, man. Come on. <laughs> Instead of just one person. No, like, yeah, I don't know if you've ever like had anybody in that type of position, right? But when you do, it's just, you know, everything is like, a, it's for them, right? Because that's that's what's happening right then. And like, I mean, I guess some people don't do that. They like cut and run or whatever. But I think if you have that, that, bond and that care and that sense of duty and all those things you know that's just like priority number one and it's tough because like those type of battles have ups and downs and like for us there was a time where we like won and we were like yeah like full remission like gonna be fine and then it was like oh absolutely not just complete 180 and so you're just on that ride as much as you can be with with the person um yeah and it creates a lot of you know she was weird in the family like you know her family her side of the family i haven't talked to one person in there since her funeral because you know uh they yeah it's just like it, it brings up a lot of stuff and like it's weird you know her sister being mad at her while she's like getting chemo and you're kind of like how do you be mad at someone that you know is like at death's door uh, and I don't know. I don't know if you should be or shouldn't be, but those type of, you know, when people die, like everything's unresolved, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, it can't, you you don't get any more information. That's the end of the information flow, right? And all the information now is like, maybe you found a picture that you forgot about or a video or whatever, or a letter or something. Uh, so you're just left at this like cliffhanger where you're filling in. Any conversation you have is just in your head. Any memory you have is like a memory of a memory of a memory. So you start trying to close those like conversations as best as you, you can. And for me, music is definitely one way to at least express what it's like to have those questions. Is, is there, what were some of like the conversations? Were you able, did you carve out nights and just sit there talk? Cause well, I'm thinking of my own mom and she's dealing with dementia. So I found my mom two years ago broken hip, COVID hit her hard. She had super alcohol problem. And like, you can never tell if she was like going off the rails or if it was just like, damn mom, hit that warm white wine kind of early today into that second 1.5 already, huh? And you right. know, like whatever, she'd make shit up and you're like, okay. But you, now that she has like pretty severe dementia, I like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, you fucking asshole. You never sat there. And you never like asked, I don't know much about my dad at all. Cause he left when I was 11, never heard about him. Never asked her about him. Cause I always felt it was disrespectful to her. She was the one that stuck with me. That motherfucker bounced. Fuck you, dude. Right. Right. So I regret not having those conversations and just carving out the time to have the hours. But at the same time, it's like, I'd never know what I'm going to want to know later on. And I guess that's how I justified in my life. But I also didn't know she was going to have dementia. And I feel like with cancer, it gets so serious. And I feel like it can get so intense that you almost want to have those moments or you seek out those moments and almost like prepare for closure. Mm -hmm. And I was curious if you had some like of those deeper conversations or some discoveries that you appreciate now. Yeah. Man, I'm sorry about your mom. Um, you know, I think as much as you can have those whenever she's able. Yeah. You know, 
do it. Take, take the time. Um, I'm always like joking with people, but kind of that half joking, like if they're in a fight with their mom or whatever, I'll be like, well, at least you got one, <laughs> you know, cause it's, I think it's important to like reflect the alternate reality perspective, um, perspective. Right. Um, but the reality also is like my mom and I fought, you know, I mean, like it is tough and like, yeah, you, you kind of get some preparation, but at the same time, you don't know what to do with it. And you've also got this new like logistical thing that you got to figure out and like navigate. And like when you're 20, 21, it's like tough because you suck at the world. Right. And you're like, (laughs) I need to do all this stuff. And then, you know, you, again, like you think it's all good. You think they're going to be okay. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, they're like in a coma and you're like, okay, that's not what I thought was going to happen today. So it's still somehow unexpected, you know? Gotcha. What, um, what'd she think of your music? <laughs> Dude, my mom, my mom swear my music. She was my biggest fan Yeah, by far. No one will ever like my music, including myself, half as much as my mom did. I, this out, this next album I'm going to release on April 26th. That's my mom's birthday, April 26th. Awesome. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I got these, like, I'm looking, I'm in the studio right now. I'm looking at this preamp that I keep here. I don't use it too often only on certain actually used it on that 11 a.m song but uh that she bought me it was like my first piece of like real studio gear and i still have this letter from her that was like do not use this money like for rent or groceries or like whatever like this is to buy a piece of studio gear if you need other stuff you know you can ask me but that this is like what this is for because you know you got to make music dude that kind of support i don't know man that, that, that that's awesome like it's inspiring support it's like what i would hopefully like that's inspirational to me as a parent to be like don't try to force i don't i don't know if she was but that's how i take it like i worry i project too much of what i think my daughter should become versus her mm-hmm. talents guiding her and just fostering right. the fuck almost like we were talking about like you're she's really good at making friends and she's really good at making people feel included and all i do is sweat her about get better at math it's like right. Yeah, you need the math skills, man, but maybe chill the fuck out, Sean. Take a step back and just really help her understand, like, how awesome she is. And I, like, that kind of, like, your mom, that, a letter like that from your mom about that, to me, is, like, a great reminder of how you can inspire your children and almost, like, what you should do as a parent. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's good that you're pressing math. Like, you know, you got (laughs) to keep the kid in the rails. That's part of the job. But I think, like... I don't know, I have kids, but like, I think the best thing a parent can do is show like interest. Yeah. So like, even if you're not just like, you're amazing and but just be like, what do you like about that? What is the, uh, you know, like she's good at making friends. Who are your friends? What do you like about them? What kind of conversation you have, whatever. And just that interest makes someone feel so like important and like cared for that. Then they're naturally going to like gravitate towards that thing more, you know? Yeah. And work at it. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome, man. That um, you have that kind of I don't know memento, that's right there. That's um, yeah. It's cool to have like a practical thing because like, I feel like I can use it. You know, I can like record <laughs> something, and I like we're literally like every time I'll just be like, "Thank you, mom. Like I appreciate right? you giving me that thing that I still you know can use." What was the like musical training? for you did you have to like go anywhere are you just like self-taught you hang out with people and you pick shit up dude i am 
because you also produce music, right? Like, and I don't know if it's all, but I know on like the one album, I thought it was the majority. Sorry, I don't, I can't yeah. remember all the names, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely most, um, most of the beats at this point are, um, are mine. And like, yeah, but I'm, you know, I have no, like zero musical talent, like at all. <laughs> like it is all just absolute, like brute force, uh, you know, trying to get it done. Um, I got friends that are fucking talented, man. And it's incredible to get to work with them. You know, I got none of that. Like, can you play anything? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I play like guitar and drums and bass and stuff like that. But again, it's like, it's like utilitarian. It's like to get the song, to create the song, you know, like, uh, yeah. Other people like look at a guitar and like understand it. And I'm like, I don't understand it. I see like four chords that I could create like a message out of you know sound what's a little bit of your creative process because in your songs you're basically like i got a little buzzed that's just one I mean, line yeah, that's, i was like that's definitely part of the process <laughs> <laughs> i mean usually it's like it's just like pawing through records usually or coming up sitting with a guitar um acoustic guitar and finding something that stands out to me and then i'll hear like i'll hear something that makes me want to write. And as soon as I get that, I try to like get it in to Pro Tools and like get it looped and then just write, just write like crazy. Um, like I'll probably write like, I don't know, six, seven, eight verses, like type of length, right? Like, you know, a hundred, 150 bars to something like that. And then I'll kind of capture that and be like, okay, I kind of got it. And then I'll come back to it. Right. And be like, all right, I need to add to this beat, refine it, actually make it a song, delete two thirds of the lyrics I wrote, <laughs> like <laughs> polish them up, find a chorus maybe. And then it's just like a kind of endless refinement until I don't think I finish anything, but I abandon it until I'm like, okay, this is ready to be abandoned. You and know, that's when it gets on. That's what I was wondering. Like, if you're ever truly happy with the song, or do you listen to them later and be like, fuck, man, could have tightened this up, or maybe mm -hmm. should have inserted this word that I had back then? I think I protect myself from that feeling, which is why it's very cathartic for me to release a project. Because once something is like on a record, like on a project with a cover, a title, and it's like out, it's like done. And so mentally, I'm just like, I won't even think of things that could be different because it's too late. But before that, I'm like a neurotic, you know, mess, like messing with it and like, all right, this is mix like 84. And, you know, but at the same, I say that, but at the same time, there's plenty of tracks that were like just a loop and one take. And that's, that's it. That's the song, you know? Is there a difference in like content between the one take and the 84? to simplify it like uh, like something's way more personal or you're trying to be like funny so it takes you longer, or more clever so it takes you longer where the 11 a.m song you're like just one take because it was like that was just my heart kind of thing or am i misthinking that no it's not it's a good question i don't know if it's content i mean definitely complexity like some songs can have you know 30 40 plus tracks going on of uh, and so there's just a lot more to orchestrate. And so getting everything in its right place and songs can have change ups and bridges. And so the more simple the song, the easier it is. But I, I think sometimes it's just like hit or miss, right? Like sometimes you just do something and you're like, yeah, that's done. Like I've had, I've had like homies be like, 
I recorded this and then they might come over here and record it. And it like, quote unquote, sounds better. Like they go to a, a studio and they've got a, a nicer mic or whatever, but, but you like the other one better because that was just it. That was, that was the vibe. That was the moment. That was the take. That's the better track. And that's always the one to go with. So even things can be imperfect, but be like the best. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I don't know why the, um, what's coming into my head. I'm curious. Is, is it, if I was God? Yeah. The, the track on, uh, playing God. Playing God. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and all, uh, oh, fuck, all the cops, there's these four. And when people say bars, I'm also, again, like a boomer. I don't know how to count bars in a song, but there's like four lines where it ends up like my girlfriend died. So I went and got a goldfish. Oh shit. And I was like, whatever was before it. I'm like, dude, I put that bitch on replay for like a mile and a half today, trying to like memorize it. Cause the beat switches up. Like, I think the music kind of fades and it's just your voice. And maybe even the tone sounds a little different, but it was just like such a fucking funny like moment. I I don't know, man. I'm curious about like that song. Cause like, if I'm thinking about, if I was God, like how long would it take me to figure out what I would do if I was God? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you could probably stop time and think about it for that's as long a, as you wanted, you know? That's a good uh, yeah. That part of that song. Now, now that I'm remembering it, that was actually tight. Cause my, my buddy, Chris, I used to, this bass is still at my house, but I was like weird stand up bass. It's like freaking huge. And, uh, like I said, I don't, everything is brute force. And so I just started playing it and came up with that little riff and i didn't really have any place to put it and that track i was like well what if we just drop the whole beat out and just go to this yeah. <laughs> go to this little stand-up bass and then i'll rap over this and then we'll just come back in with the beat oh, no and shit. It, it worked dude yeah more than works man like that 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 to me like makes for me and whatever my opinion is like makes the song because it, it was like kind of unexpected but then it like completely goes with it yeah yes it's fun to do like I mean, musical, for lack of a better word, like, you know, just more dynamic ranged stuff with rap, you know? Yeah. How challenging, and we had kind of started with it and then veered or whatever, but like how challenging is figuring out to keep it bluesy? Is that like trapping or is it challenging? I mean, it's both for sure. Um, I mean, there's like a track on the new record that's about to come out that, just isn't really that bluesy. I mean, it's in a pentatonic, like it has a blues vibe kind of to it structurally, but you know, and it's more singing really than rapping. And, but I was like, I just like the song. I'm going to put it on there. So I try to like shook it a little bit, you know, and not have to be in the confines of it. But I think it's also challenging in a way that I like, like I, you know, sometimes I might write a bar and I'm like, oh, this is so clever. And then I'll listen to a blues song and I'll be like, this dude just said what I tried to say so much more clearly and concisely, you know? And I appreciate that. And I like, there's a simplicity in it. Like a lot of blues songs are like, you know, like I can play some blues songs that are like my favorites on guitar, right? But it doesn't sound the same when I play it. And like, technically it's the same, but it's not. So there's this, I don't know, there's like this, it's like give a hundred people the same guitar, tell them to say the same thing. That's the most trap or play the same thing. That's the most trapping thing that possibly could be. And yet everybody will play it differently. So it's like learning to explore the freedom even within that. 
Oh, yeah, you're you're so fucking deep, man. Like the way you I think about shit. It just no, dude. Like it's I, I just like talking to creative people, and like just trying to frame my perspectives and then gaining them. Help me understand what like makes blues blues. Because when you would talk about um, and I I forget what, literally what you had just mentioned about like something about blues to apply. And I was like, fuck man, are there rules to blues? Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, there's not, there's not rules, haves. but there's definitely like, if you want to do something bluesy, do these things. Okay. Right. Um, so there's blues scales, intervals between notes. Uh, I got a lot of blues punchlines that I feel like no one ever understands, except for my buddy, Rick, shout out Rick, who tries to teach me music theory and I never pay attention. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he plays all the guitar on the record um all right yeah at least all the good guitar basically if it sounds like shit it's me playing if it sounds face melting then it's rick um but yeah i mean like 12 bars shuffle one four five uh you know flatted fifth there's an interval that sounds so dissonant so basically so bluesy that it was like outlawed by the catholic church for like centuries <laughs> seriously it's like, it's called the devil's interval. The devil's um, interval. I believe the devil's inter interval is the blue note, which is where you get like blue note records. So, I mean, like you can, you know, start playing up a fretboard of a guitar and you'll just hear, you know, whatever notes. And then someone could just leave out certain notes. And all of a sudden you would say, oh, that's the blues. Because it's the right intervals that create that dissonant sound to you. And then lyrically, I still haven't figured out how to put the this in there but in rap format but a lot of call and response right a a b so you say the first line three times and then kind of answer it with the fourth line okay right yeah i'm like i'm I don't know, i'm trying to think like i have any hope of ever making a song like that but i'm like the a a b would that be more like chorus kind of stuff like easier to fit that in there or do you try to put that within the verses or it's usually uh, either one yeah there's just kind of this call and response and like you do it with the guitar too right where the, the lead guitar becomes a voice so you say the line and then the lead guitar has a phrase and then you say another line the lead guitar has a another phrase okay does, does making this like a formula or format like is, is that cool for your analytical brain or does it sap all the creativity out of it because <laughs> like when you're talking about musical smarter theory. if i was smarter it might create zap it out of there but because i'm just such an idiot with like music theory and everything i'm still just like sitting there to you know doing my little my little thing just trying to like, trying to see what i guess banging my head against the studio wall to see what happens you know gotcha it are there other people like you not to like try to take away from your like record sales or tours or anything but I'm, I was just surprised I'd not heard of rap with like this blues background music. And it got me curious, like, is this an actual genre? I hope, so. I hope it's going to become a genre. Um, I don't know. Every once in a while I get like a DM or something from somebody that's like, you should do a track with like this person and I'll go and look at it and be like, okay, I guess that's like, kind of, <laughs> kind of makes sense. But I think the blues is like, it's a pain in the ass to sample, man, honestly. Like, it's not built in the way that, like, soul and jazz and funk are to sample. The time signatures are messed up. The shuffle is different. The The accent of the beats is, I don't want to say off, but off compared to what rap a rap beat is. Um, 
And so it just makes it torturous to, <laughs> to work with. And so I can see why it's kind of like untouched. But to me, it's like, you know, I'll go look at, you know, when I was first making beats, I'd go through jazz and funk and soul and find a bunch of stuff and be like, oh, these, this was already sampled four times in these other songs, right? And there's still, you know, there's still good stuff out there to find, of course. But in the blues, it's like untouched. It's like gold, you know? Jeez. No one's messed with it. Cobalt at this point. <laughs> Nobody cares yeah. about gold anymore. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, those iPhones. Yeah. Are, are you, and this hopefully will be insulting, but hopefully the answer is really good. Are you actually a millionaire? Because it's been mentioned a couple of times and I'm like, holy shit, dude, have you become that successful with your music that you're <laughs> like- Definitely not for my music. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not for my music, but- This yeah. bank robbing heist this one time. It's just yeah. really helpful. Thank you to the 140 people that bought a record, but that did not get me a million dollars. Yeah. Gotcha. No, it was because I was wondering, are you to the point because your stuff looks so legit and produced so well, right? There was a time where I don't know, like the boxing video that you had just put out. Yeah. Like that, the the fucking editing and the, the production that went into that, like back in the camcorder days, man, like back in the pre whatever garage band days, like I don't know how you're doing that. You're not right. You have to be legit to have a legit video. I just have legit friends, to be honest. Like right. that's my homie, Devin, Brill. He's so cold. Northeast Productions. Every, anyone listening, go look him up. He's amazing. And I mean, that's just my gym, my boxing coach. And I was like, hey, man, come through for one hour, open gym. And then he just shot it and that's it. Put it together and it just looks incredible. So it, it absolutely does. And that's why I'm like, is music your main source of income main life now like are you on tour and all that kind of stuff no no definitely not seriously no. i'm like a basement basement artist <laughs> that's no it. way are you serious yeah no tours. i mean it'd be, it'd be cool in a way it'd be fun but i don't i don't know if i don't know if it's in the cards for me you know i just want to make make stuff and put it out and hope people like it i'm fucking blown away right now like no like you don't play outside anywhere you just put out music for internet and records and then it's like deuces y'all yeah i think the last show i played was like i mean i've jumped up a couple of times and done like a verse but it's like pretty much like 2012 2013 no shit i did not expect yeah. that yeah playing out sucks man i mean you just you gotta do it you know you gotta like be on it and i'm old and tired you know <laughs> <laughs> is that that's did you ever have like a road section of your life so I, if you had a tour like did, did you have an official tour experience in your life yeah i don't want to say like official tour like uh in my first i guess second group that i was in um our dj shout out dj weather uh was like very organized and he'd been a dj around portland for a while and so we just played around the northwest uh but like quite a bit you know, like probably at least weekly, sometimes two, three shows a week uh, for like a good solid probably two year period. And so I got it. Like, then that was great. It was a ton of fun. We thought we were going to be famous <laughs> and we got to play like we played in front of great, great, you know, crowds and opened up for people that we loved. And and it was very cool. A great experience. Um, but thinking about doing that now, I, I can't imagine it. Why not? Like the music's so good, man. 
You don't think like I, dude, I could just, I, I don't know the the twenty twenty album. Fuck, see, I need, I should have took notes, dude. Gotta take notes, man. Come on, I, step it up. If I'm gonna be a fucking professional, you know, if I'm <laughs> just edit this part out. No, I like leaving this shit in here for me. Yeah, dude, <laughs> like even the the dust wraps the twenty thirteen album, and then sometimes it's good, like fucking married to my shotgun. It feels good, like poor man's cocaine. I'm looking at all these songs. I'm like, who's not gonna fucking just enjoy themselves listening to that music, like in person? Like it, you're deprived. I mean, of it'd the be world. fun. Like, I mean, look, if someone came down and was like, "Hey, man, here's here's all the dates. Everything's organized. I got my homies that are willing to go with me and play guitar and drums and whatever." And like, yeah, I'm. All, I would. I would go. But it's it's all about stepping into that that lifestyle right of like grinding and and booking and and organizing and then going and you know you're gonna play a great show and then you're gonna play a show for five people and uh yeah i'm glad i did it for a time maybe there'll be another time but i kind of can't picture it i'd like to do something i'd like to do something like different like do an album with no samples and like play guitar and rap at the same time and then have like a buddy play bass and drums or something and maybe do really bleed it into like a whole new bizarre genre. Okay. That'd be fun to play live. I'm thinking the only thing I can reference, and I'm not, you definitely know more about music than me, um, like The Roots, mm -hmm. right? Like that was the first one that, um, what was it? Um, Baby You Got Me, the Erica Badu. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that song? I mean, The Roots, like, it's hard. It's dude. It's hard. I mean, Questlove is just insane. Like, cause it's so hard to drum a breakbeat to the timing that like a rapper needs. That's why a lot of like rock rock rap sounds corny. It's cause it's not like in the pocket. Um, the way that like a sample would be. So I don't. It's tough. It would be tough. I'd have to let you know. Yeah, do something different with like more slow melodic rap type of thing. I don't know. So it's in the back of my head somewhere. <laughs> Take it back to the MTV. That's actually one of my favorite um, albums I rediscovered was Jay-Z on that, like, what was it? Um, MTV Live, like Nirvana was on it. Mm, like the Unplugged thing? Unplugged, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, like Dude. the first Tiny Desk concert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like my dream. That's what I'll play. If NPR hits me up and, play and gets me on a Tiny Desk concert, then I'll retire and never make another song again because that's the top. <laughs> It's totally forgotten about Tiny Desk concert. Yeah. Well, uh, was Mac Miller influential to you at all? Not to like just start throwing a bunch of white rapper names <laughs> at you, but like I kind of get that fun party witty vibe um, from him. And I again going to my boomerness, I didn't even know about Mac Miller till he passed away. And like that's he was trending on Twitter, and then I discovered his music, and I'm like, holy shit, dude! Like you were like you were good, but then I figured like the whole musical part because he did the tiny desk thing mm -hmm. yeah and, that was fire he and was I, yeah fire. i'm like holy shit dude you're like musician musician like this is yeah. deep in you you're not just some like goofy little rapper dude talking about donald trump and fifth avenue and shit like that right yeah so, no he had a kind of like he'd surprise you with his soulfulness yes kind of, and yeah. that's why i bring up the reference not to be the whole eminem hey you're white and rap yeah, yeah he's yeah. white and raps i mean i don't i think he definitely i have to say yes because he's in the ethos you know, uh, and came, you know, before me or was bigger than me and all that stuff. So I, I listened to his music. I think, I think honestly, every song I've ever listened to is like an influence. I know that's like really bizarre, but like 
it's in there. It's in my head <laughs> yeah, somewhere, right. you know? And God knows I listen to like way too many like styles of music growing up that like somewhere there in my head of and want to come out, you know? Was that your mom's influence or just more like your natural curiosity or who was like your music pusher? Yeah, I mean, my mom loved music. She was super musical. And then uh, very randomly, we had this like downstairs neighbor who was like kind of like our friend. And so my mom was like older. He was like, how old is he? He was like, so my mom was like 50 and he's like 28 and I'm like uh, 10, right? And we all like we're inseparable. And uh, he turned me on to so much music that to this day, I still like kind of revere. It's like the most special bands. Um, and none of which sounds or none of whom sound anything similar to what I make. But it's still like it's like if I said they were influential, no one would believe me. <laughs> but for me, they are. Yeah. What's um like what do you take away from them? I think like. I'm almost scared uh, to ask, and sorry, but like I'm almost scared to ask for the name because I didn't even know the Cage guy, and I'm like, fuck, oh, you're gonna hit me with some names. No, you get a pass without knowing. You don't have to know Cage's. That's not relevant to the current. Uh, no offense to Cage. Uh, uh, the Tragically Hip. I don't know if you know that band, no. um, dude. There, this is my favorite thing is that no one in America knows this band, and when you Google them, you'll feel hilarious because they're like, I, I think like the largest band from Canada of all time. No shit. Like, they're essentially like the national band of Canada. Brian Adams um, of Canada. What's that? The Brian Adams of Canada. Yeah, like just fucking <laughs> huge. And so they're, I mean, they're amazing. And the, the lead singer, I think, is just a weirdo. Rest in peace. He passed a few years ago. Um, and just like, I don't know, he just has a strange charisma. And I feel like he lets himself go on their records, like lyrically to like places that only need to make sense maybe to him. Uh, but, but has the conviction that it should make sense to you when you hear it. And then eventually maybe it does be like, yeah. And I think he, if you listen to, listen to, uh, what is it? Live at the Roxy. I think they just remastered that album and put it on Spotify. There's a couple tracks on there where he freestyles like stories, like the band just like jams and he has like a story that he tells. And it's like, it's insane. I mean, I just like sit there and listen to it. And I'm like, this is like unrivaled spontaneous creativity. Tragically hip. What a great name. Tragically. I went and saw them. I think it was 2016. The guy, he got a brain tumor. And he was like, it's terminal, I'm going to die, but we're going to do one last tour. And so I flew to Canada and saw him. And uh, dude, it was unbelievable. I mean, played at like a hockey like rink, like stadium, just sold out. And like played a three-hour set. And at the end, I swear, he stood on the stage and made eye contact with every single person. And like, it was like standing ovation, half clapping, half crying right. for probably 20 minutes straight of him just standing there, spotlight, house lights on, looking at everybody. And you're like, there, like, this is it. Like, he's going to die in, like, a few months. So much death on this podcast. Yeah, man. Sorry, it's my vibe. So much death. <laughs> it, it is the blues, right? Like, that's yeah. that's something. Um, yeah. yeah. So something might be more fun, or I don't know if your current job will fire you for it. Hopefully there are no cops <laughs> listening. Um I'm curious about like the drug dealing references and youthful experiences that you get wrapping into. Can we talk about like there's a couple references 
not just about like smoking drugs, but maybe peddling a couple things. But then there's also a lot about women that have hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Um, is one or two, is either or of those subjects a little more fun to talk about? <laughs> so basically we're going from like genocide, parental death, like into musician death, into drug dealing and heartbreak. W way more fun to talk about. Yeah. No, we're working our way back. At least in America. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they're all. It's all like relatively auto, within a shade, you know, autobiographical. Um, so definitely, you know, being a crazy kid in adolescence is definitely still with me in spirit, and still like working out a lot of those, you know, things. And then heartbreak, I think, is. I don't know. I don't know if I was going to say it's uh, it's ongoing, like it's always a part of life, but maybe not. But it rears its head, right, for people. Yeah. So it's always like the unexpected. It's super. It's a super relatable topic. Way more relatable to I think everybody than drug dealing, right? Yeah. So. I don't know. It depends on your fan base, I guess. <laughs> and region depends where yeah. you grow up. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's like a couple just different references of coming up, and I was curious if there's like. A particular girl is there somebody we should bash is there someone we should appreciate <laughs> hopefully she's not passed because that would just be tragic. <laughs> no. yeah yeah they're all dead to me anyways <laughs> <laughs> no i you know no bashing I, I appreciate them all you know at the at their worst they gave me a lot of bars so gotcha motivation yeah um and maybe we can kind of end on this tune i'm so i'm still kind of flabbergasted shocked that you're like not going out with the music and i want to say i've seen a couple things about supporting like independent versus being signed and that's something i don't know a ton about i've had a bunch of different artists on and basically they're like the, almost the worst thing you can do is stream our music on spotify and apple because we make like half a cent per stream kind of a thing yeah and i'm just curious about your experience and it's seeming more like is it disrespectful to say hobby but something that like you're really fucking good at but you're not your livelihood's not on it and how that affects how you try to market sell and make make profit on yeah i mean thankfully it gets me out of having to do it you know <laughs> uh but yeah i mean it's it's definitely tough like i get my spotify check and my apple music check and it's a joke you know re relative to like how many people like i'm like okay if these streams were all purchases from my band camp it would, I would quit my job, you know, but they, yeah, they give you a tiny percent. Um, when you say stay there for a second with Bandcamp, what do you mean? Yeah. And like, how does that work? Because that is something that I feel like there's this other guy I follow on Instagram, La Russell, who's in Oakland and he like does this crazy content thing, but he's, he's a rapper. He has this like pergola. He basically built like a little concert stadium in his backyard and he would just oh, get out funny. there with his DJ and he'd just start fucking firing off. And then he's mm -hmm. become this guy and he has this concept of like, you pay what you want for tickets and you can buy part of his masters of his songs. But the thing mm -hmm. that sucks for me as a boomer again is like, I can't like, how do I fucking get your song, LaRussell, on my phone as I go jogging? Like, I don't know, like when I'm on Apple, when I'm on Spotify, it's I dust wraps the blues, you pop right the fuck up and it's top songs. I push play and I guess whatever's most popular on Apple starts or you can find the album and let it roll. And right. it's so much more convenient. So 
How and I think you... that's that's here to stay. That's I mean, I listen to all my music on Apple and Spotify, right? But like I found a band recently that I just fucking love, right? And I found myself like, damn, I've listened to this record like 500 times on Spotify, right? And then I went to their band camp or their website, right? And I bought it on vinyl and I bought a t-shirt. Okay. And, you know, I listened to the record once. It's on my, like, my shelf. Maybe I'll listen to it again. But really, that to me, that's an act of supporting them. Gotcha. You know, so that's kind of how I view the, like, the ecosystem of the listener creator, right? It's like, if you find yourself going back to something, because it's all free. Music's basically free now, right? It's 10 bucks a month for Spotify or whatever. It's yeah, crazy. I mean, my Apple's $100 a year and it's premium. Like, you get any song you want and it's like, as long as you keep paying that, paying that 100, your playlist is right. there forever and your access to whatever's on Spotify. Although Garth Brooks, I went to look for some Garth Brooks the other day and that motherfucker pulled everything. He was like, Good it's friend. all mine, dude. Come at me if you want my music. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. And, and basically, I think as a listener, like all of us as listeners need to remember if every artist was as big as Garth Brooks, they would do that too. Yeah. But they're not. They want you to hear them and that's why they're there. But that's not actually supporting them. And of course, you can't buy every freaking song you listen to. I mean, everyone has to make their choices. But it's like, if you're really feeling something, it's nice to, you know, you go on a band camp, Five bucks, seven bucks, ten bucks, buy a record, buy a t-shirt, whatever, even if you don't want it. You know, you just want to put it on your shelf or whatever, or have yeah. a t-shirt in your fucking drawer. It uh that's what really actually or go see them if they're playing live. Uh that's what makes a difference towards that person actually getting money off of their music. Yeah, the live, it seems like the lives where it's at at this point for profitability. I just it sucks that like I can't. I can't subscribe to your music for like a dollar fifty, or I can't buy a month, right? Or like, oh man, I'm just right. gonna buy this song. Like for me to buy 11 a.m. just mm -hmm. as me as an individual, where whenever I want to listen to it, I can push play. Do you have any sort of like what you would sell a song to me for forever for price? <laughs> Is that a stupid? I question mean, you too? can go on uh, Bandcamp. I think they're 99 cents each, or it's like seven dollars for that whole. Maybe it's five bucks. I'll tell you right. Like for that di whole record. digitally though, or a vinyl record? That's just digital. Um, yeah, you can buy that whole, I got it on there for five bucks. No shit. Or the new one is seven bucks or the vinyls, uh, 25 bucks. And then what's it play through? You just download the file. So then you can play whatever you gotcha. want. But again, like for, for me anyways, I'll go on someone's band camp and buy their album for five bucks and not download it. Cause I'm not going to, I'm going to listen to it on Spotify or Apple Music, you know what I mean? I don't really need it. Yeah. I just did it so that I could shoot them five bucks because I like their project. Just a respect thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Dude, I was trying to prepare for this and Googling you and like there's no like magazine article that came up on Google about Thank you. God. <laughs> Is that like an intentional thing? I'm so surprised you did the podcast then. Or are you just way less famous than I'm giving you credit for? Yeah, definitely that. Uh, but also I'll say uh, to, to respect this podcast, I probably turned down a dozen <laughs> relative and like, you know, I listened to yours and I was like, okay, this guy's all right. I'll, I'll talk to him. <laughs> no shit. So, yeah. Yeah. Is it something particular about not wanting to put yourself out there or not wanting to commit the time? Cause I feel like what you're saying with the band cam thing, I feel like you're kind of giving that to me, which is just support. 
And like, honestly, like you're helping me try to get better at asking questions, keeping conversations going. And I'm definitely a startup. I don't have a basement, but I got a second bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm in. Yeah, we're in the same boat, man. We're in the same boat. Yeah. So but I'm, I'm curious. I just don't want to, I don't want to fuck it up. You know what I mean? Like someone could easily listen to our conversation we just had and be like, I didn't like that thing he said about whatever. And now my relationship with his music is fucked up. And to me, like, I'm a dude, I got thoughts and this and that. And if you like my music, I, I fuck with you unless you're a piece of shit. <laughs> then stop listening to my music. But pro genocide, get off my dick. You're pro genocide. <laughs> I don't, there's not a place for you here. But, you know, it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't want to fuck it up. And uh, I appreciate everybody that gets something out of it, you know? That's the Jordan line. Um, Republicans buy sneakers too. I know. Yeah. I don't want to be that cynical because it's hopefully it's more an emotional connection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's kind of crazy yeah. for an artist to be, have to be like conscientious like that. Like it would be a turn off or it would be a limit to actually get to know more about the person creating something you like. I mean, you're supposed to do everything now, right? Cause everybody wants content every second. If I have my dream in the world, I would never to play a show i'd never talk to anybody i would never have an article a blog i'd never do press i would never do any i would just make a record and put it out and people would like it or hate it and that'd be that on to the next are you signed like do you have a publishing company no. or do you just push no. how do you push stuff out just with my fingers on the internet <laughs> that's it yeah dude this is so amazing i am god i this is not what i expected i expected it was like your full-time musician guy because the music is so fucking good man oh thank you i appreciate that like it comes across as you should be like i thought there was gonna be fucking tour dates and things like this i was hoping to catch you on the east coast hey book me a show you know i'll, I'll fly out there <laughs> that would be interesting i wonder maybe that's what i'm going to in life to become like the promo booker for all these talented people that just don't want to deal with logistics hell yeah man gotcha. that'd be great Dust, man. Thank you so much for saying yes. I really do appreciate it, especially I feel a little special now, too. I'm feeling myself a bit. You um, should be. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. All right, man. Enjoy the rest of your night. And um, I'm looking forward to... Oh, let's end with the promo. So actual album out on the 26th of April? Yep. Problems coming out April 26th. Go to my band camp, dustwrapsablues.bandcamp.com. Buy a handmade vinyl record. Uh, each one... Lath cut, lathe cut, hand uh, hand numbered. Uh, they're beautiful. There's like 50, 60 left. Uh, yeah, or if not, download it. Or if not, add it on, add, follow me on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you listen to, Dust Raps the Blues. Gotcha. Awesome, man. Um, good luck with that. And looking forward to, I don't know, just knowing a little bit about you on Instagram now, since you'll never post about yourself. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, dude. Have a good Thank night. You. Huge thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Homeboy's been down since just about day one. If you have not already, search him up, Andre Psyche, on social media. Give my man a follow for the fuck of it. Please, almost more importantly, do not forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Five stars, five stars, five stars. If you have not already... 
continue with your gracious clicking, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And if you're feeling super generous, as in that ching-ching monetary type, go to our Patreon and support the pod for as little as $2 a month. Oh yeah, and if you know anyone who'd like to be a guest on the pod, go ahead and send their contact info our way. Slide them up into my DMs. Later.